Microphone check, one, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. I am your host, Rohan Patra, the rap music plug at your service. Here we are again at the end of the If you're like me and have found yourself marveling at how great a Backwood Studios record is sounding, it is all but guaranteed that sound god Willie Green was behind the boards, fine-tuning the sound to perfection. That standard of quality you've come to expect from a Backwoods album has been cultivated by the sure hands of beatmaker and audio engineer Willie Green, a man whose contributions to the genre's most impactful movement of the last decade plus cannot be understated. Decades from now, when they tell the story of Backwoods, Willie Green should and will be at the forefront of that discussion, which is why I am absolutely honored to have Green on the show today, where he opened up on the value of audio engineering work, the art of mixing, how he approaches his craft, along with his perspectives on notable musical trends and the continued rise of Backwood Studios. You won't want to miss this. This was a really fun one. Let's get to it. The Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV is the remedy to the I don't have anything good to listen to problem. Through in-depth album and song reviews, as well as artist interviews and general rap commentary sprinkled in between on all of what the mainstream and underground rap scenes have to offer, this is your one-stop shop to knowing what to add to your queue, play next, or pop into your record player. Welcome to the show. How you doing, Willie Green? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Man, I appreciate having you on. Uh, like, I feel anytime I see all Willie Green, Wom- you say Womack? Is that how you pronounce yeah. your name? Yeah. yeah. Anytime I see that name in the credits of an album, I just know it's going to sound like incredible. I really appreciate that. I mean, that's what kind of brought me into the behind the scenes game, right? Like you listen to records, you listen to albums and you're like, this sounds dope. Who did it? Right? Like, I was a liner notes kid. Um, Mm. And then you see certain names, they pop up over and over. And that's when you kind of realize, oh, this is who's behind the scenes. This person is involved in everything. And then you start to look out for people like that, you know, whether it's the producer, the engineer, or even the drummer who played on whatever, you know, like this is how the lore of us behind the scenes people get passed down. So it's always nice when somebody looks at the credits and pays attention and notices and like follows along. Like that's, that's, that, that, that's the goal, but it's not always the, uh, the reality. Planetary orbits and tempo numbers, ancient mathematical astronomy, midnight's children, time and space reunited, selling the true time, the valley of fear, tells the unrest, milk from my breast, imagine communities outside my life, Washington at a latitude of 77 degrees outside my life. Yeah, I think it's definitely not for everybody in terms of like, obviously it goes without saying that most people these days, casuals are not checking that stuff but i think especially the music that you've been associated with i think that type of fan is more likely to actually do the work to just check the fucking band camp description or something i mean we don't really make music for casuals yeah you know what I mean? like yeah. you don't casually listen to an elusive album it's an mm-hmm. active listen like you you have to try to do this you got to put in some work 
but that's the kind of music I like and that's what I listen to. So mm-hmm. it, it's exciting for me that the fans that we have meet us in that way because that's the kind of people that we are. Right. And you kind of, I want to get into really how you got into this line of work, if you will, because I feel like people who are not only making beats, but are on like the post-production side of things as you are. I mean, you do both, but uh, from the audio engineering side specifically, I kind of feel, I like liking you guys to, this might sound weird, but like goalies in hockey or soccer. Mm. And I don't know if you, I've played both sports and I feel like with those people who end up being goalies are just usually different kinds of people. Like they're just wired differently. And I feel like, audio engineering, I just have to imagine it is similar because I just don't really, from a fan's perspective, I don't really understand how you end up going from not only just being like, I want to make the beats, but I want to be the the audio engineer person behind and really tweaking the the details of it. It seems like such an interesting kind of path to go through. So like, how did you get to where you are now as an audio engineer? Yeah, I mean, you really encapsulated it, you know, like wanting to make the stuff sound good. Like, that's my favorite part. You know, like, I can't rap, can't really sing, I make beats, but getting to work on important projects and make them sound good, make them sound how they should, like, that's the part that I love, you know? I started out, uh, you know, I played drums my whole childhood and everything and played in bands. I went to music school thinking I'm going to be this superstar drummer and next Y, blah, 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 you know, and I went from being a big fish in my little pond, you know, of uh, Hartford and the suburbs around it, uh, in Connecticut. And then I went to Berkeley College of Music, you know, one of the biggest music schools in the world. And I heard all the other drummers. You know what I mean? It's my mm. first day. And so, you know, I'm feeling myself and I'm walking through the practice rooms like, yeah, I'm gonna see what the other cats are doing. Oh, shit. Oh, oh, I never heard that before. Oh, it's like that. And then, you know, pretty early on, I'm like, yo, I need, might need to reimagine this. I'm gonna be celebrity drummer. Thing. Like, drummers ain't even celebrities anyway. Mm. But I need to reimagine this. But when I was a teenager, before I went uh, to school, um, my uncle built a studio in his basement uh, in the south end of Hartford. And I would go down there and watch him make records and then went in there with my high school band and produced a record, you know, with them. So like, my first production experience was really when I was like 15 and 16, you know, and these aren't records that I would like play for you or anything. Um <laughs> But just the idea of getting used to well, what goes into making it sound dope, what goes into making it sound like it's what's in my head, you know, that to me is the goal is in my mind, I know how shit should sound. Right. You know, at least to me and what makes sense to me here. And my goal as an artist, you know, whether it's production and composition or mixing as an art, you know, um, mastering is an art in its own way is that I want to translate what's in here to all of y'all out there through your headphones and your speakers and finding the way to do that, you know? And that's the endless goal because tomorrow I might hear shit in a different way and now I got to chase that standard, you know? But that's what keeps it interesting, keeps it fun. Uh, it's funny when you look back at, you know, if I... I turned 42 uh, in a couple of weeks. So if I started making records when I was 15, that's almost three decades of, yeah. of this, 
more than two decades of doing it professionally. You know, I started as a pro uh, around this time in uh, 2023, uh, a little bit earlier. So like, it's just that constant chase of sharing what's in my mind. You know, and that's a very human thing. That's just like some people get on Twitter and tell everybody all their business. I'm not that kind of person. But when you listen to my records, you hear me. Right. That's the that's the artist part of it. That no matter what I do, like I'm putting my imprint on it. You hear me. That's my goal. Yeah, I think it's that that's chase. As you said, I love the way you said the chase of sharing what's in in my mind, because that's what all artists in a way are doing. It's just a your form of self-expression is through the sound particulars, whereas someone who raps is through their words and the flow and the feeling that comes from that. So, Yeah, and it's dope because while I can't be as literally expressive as a rapper or a singer, I can be much more expressive in a lot of other ways and not be holding to words and language and pitch mm -hmm. in the way that they are. I can change the mood of an album with the kind of reverb I put on. You know, I can change the intent of a vocal with how I distort it, or I can add to the intent. That's a lot of power. Yeah. You know, so I try to, you know, I, I want to match the song and the, the mission of the artist and the meaning in their music. And that's how I find my guide to what I should do and how much I, I can push it. But there's a lot of control with how something sounds, not just what's being said or something. Yeah, did you, uh, random question, did you work on small bills? Yes, yes I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. when you're talking about, like when you said I can change the mood of a, a, like a song based on like the reverb you put, like I'm just mm. thinking of one of the artists that you worked with uh, a lot, obviously, that I feel the way their vocals are mixed and how it sounds like from the detail perspective really changes the way I look at it is uh, Elucid. And... Mm. I'm thinking of a particular song. I think it might be the last song, if not the second last song on that album, where he says, I think it's the last lines on the song where he's like, and he kind of ends it off like a, like a, he's, his thoughts are trailing off. And it's like a, a sentence that kind of like ends abruptly. It like trails off without a conclusion. And I think mm. the way you, the way it sounds is very, uh, very mystical. It's very like eerie and uh, unsettling how like, unfinished or like unresolved the feeling is and i feel like if it would have just been deadpan flat like it's just those little details like adds this level of like i feel something here i'm just it ends off the album with such an emotive punch even though what he said could have been the same and it could have just came off so much more flat had it not been like delivered with such a specific type of texture yeah you know and that stuff matters especially you know like a whole verse will matter but the end piece is important because it's, you know, we tend to react most to the last thing that we heard. Like I can mm -hmm. say something spicy, and if I say something spicier, three seconds later, you almost forget the the the, the first thing, right? Um, but ending a thought, ending a verse, ending a song, ending an album, there's different weight to all of these things, right? Um, especially the last words you hear on an album. They're important if you think about that arc of the album, which is something that we do very well uh, at Backwoods. Um, you know, and Elucid is the thing with Elucid is very intentional with everything he does, mm -hmm. and he's very 
it's interesting recording him because sometimes it may just be one, two, maybe three takes on something, but he comes in prepared. Like he's not writing here. He's not creating the concept here. He's executing it here. And so what I love about recording him is that he's very sure of what he wants, what he's done and whether or not that's the thing, yeah. you know, some people, and it's fine either way, but there's some people that, you know, they want to kind of mull it over and think about it more and more. And with Elusive, it's like, yep, that's it. No, that's not it. Run it again. You know, and then if we run it again, it's direct application of what's in his mind. It's not, well, we're going to noodle and let's try this and let's try this and let's try that. And noodling can be great, but when someone is very focused in their creativity, you know, it focuses me. And so then I'm automatically thinking, okay, he's very intent. There's a lot of intent with how he said that. Yeah. So how that vocal also has to have the same intent, right? If I put a long delay on it and let it repeat and linger out, I'm forcing the listener to kind of reconsider those thoughts over exactly in like a dreamy state right but if i have effects on it and i cut off the effects on that line and leave it very stark and cold at the end it lets you linger on it but in a different way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it takes you out of this dream state and that's almost it's the opposite it snaps you awake like oh shit you know the the absence of effects is just as important as the effects right right especially if you're using a lot when you dry that shit out it's like oh this is very stark this is now personal this is in my face this is not this is more concrete it's not dreamy and ethereal like a lot of loose stuff is so how you do that and when you take things away you know i want to i'm mixing the song not the not the vocal yeah and so trying to be sensitive to the clues and the landscape that the artist put in and embellish that you know like i do a lot of stuff you listen to my records you know like there's a lot of effects and stuff but it's not just for the sake of oh this sounds splashy and cool this is gonna make people like what i do like yeah i like splashy and cool shit but not just for the sake of just doing it so you look at me and so you look at the song better you yeah, know? it's in service um, of the song. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like my philosophy on music making in general. It all needs to be in service of the song. If we're doing it just to just to do it or just to be flashy, just to show off, then we lost already. Right. I think, man, you said a lot of cool things there. I think one of the things you said about Elucid about and just about I think this really extends to any great artist is that I was watching this. I saw this random TikTok clip with Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins. And he was saying that art is art is about discernment. Like that's Mm. what his, and he's like, you know, you can have a million great choices in front of you, but the great artists know which ones to pick and which ones not to pick. And that's a skill in and of itself. And I think I I just, that reminded me of that. And I love that. But, um, and then also the line I was referring to, which I think relates to the, I think the delays are probably, you would know what exactly the, the effect is, of course. But it was the end of Small Bills where he says, soon to be rendered useless, and then what? And then he says, the and then what is the question, and it ends the album. And I think mm-hmm. that one kind of like kind of like percolates in my mind, and I think there's a bunch of delays going on in that, that line. And I think that's a perfect example of what you said, because it really just makes me linger on to that open-ended question that he has, and which is just perfect. Like, it's a perfect way to end the album. 
uh, now I got to pull it up because yeah, it's I the fi- love, yeah final I track. Love all the records I make, but I make so many that I forget what shit sounds like. Hold on. This oh yeah, yeah, I feel you. This will bring me back. Hold up. Oh, this man, this album is so good. Man, this album so. This one is one that it took me years to like really love. I loved it at first, like I liked it at first a lot, but now it's like up there with the loose. It's best. Yeah, you know, this is a really good one. I really fool with Lasso. I think Lasso yeah. is very talented. The rhythms that he chooses are interesting and mo- I'm gonna say motivating. That seems like a weird thing, but like you want to move to it, like it mm-hmm. inspires movement. But the tones of sounds that he chooses have even the synth stuff. There's an organic feel to Lasso's joints, which I really, really like. Yeah. Uh, but let me find the. No, that one I didn't delay. The you vocal. didn't delay? Okay. I didn't do it. And that's like the exact type of spot where Willie Green will put on a long delay like that. Not mm-hmm. talking third person, but that's like a Willie Green moment there. But if I didn't, then that's on purpose. And just listening back. So this came out. I think I mixed this during the Rona, maybe. I don't know if this, I think this dropped 20. October 2020. Oh, it was a pandemic. Okay. Yeah. October 30th, 2020. I may have mixed it during the Rona. I may have mixed it right before. I was just thinking because I worked on some of it at home. With the pads and like the kind of atmospheric stuff that Lasso has going on there. And we just came out of a spot where there's effects on Kiana's voice and there's, we've got this cloudiness there. I could have sunk a lucid into that cloud where like maybe I might've faded him, but pushed the effects. So he kind of mm. drifted off, but there's something about this cloud happening. And this is a spot where he becomes clear and very concrete and leaves that question hanging for you. And that's the end of the album. It's like, the question is what cut through everything. The question is yeah. what cut through. Oh. The amount of times I play that song and then I like realize the song ended and then I realize what he said and then I kind of play it back and I'm like, oh shit, he ended it with that. Like it, it doesn't <laughs> delay. It doesn't like, oh shit. It doesn't like uh, percolate in my head, like literally, but it does. Yeah, you know, you know but that's, yeah. and that's the thing because, you know, for the previous 13 songs, we set a lot of things up with a lot of delays and I use a lot of time-based effects um and so again that absence is just as powerful because it makes you linger on it but in a different way right like a delay is going to make you linger on it in not heavy-handed way but in a guided way this one no we leave he leaves you with the question yeah you're on your own with that shit right it's almost save yourself right leaves he leaves you with it and just like all right figure it out i gave you enough knowledge through these 14 songs you know there's a question for you. So, you know, it's interesting. And I can't say I thought about it exactly that literally, but, you know, there's a lot of instinct. And I'm listening to the lyrics and paying attention to the song, but there's also so much instinct that goes into creating art. You know, we plan for a lot of stuff and I plan out a lot of things because that's part of being a producer, getting the musicians. Where are the files? What is the file called? Which mixed version are we on? This kind of stuff. But when I sit down and I'm, working on the record i want to be able to move instinctively i don't want to i want to get out of 
that part of my brain and get into the instinct part because that's how we make music still, you know, and especially this kind of music, you know, this mm -hmm. isn't, this isn't prog rock, you know, mm -hmm. this isn't, you know, symphonic in that way, like orchestral, you know, it's, it's still improvisational. It still moves. There's still a lot of drift to it with all the backwards artists, you know, so it's important to capture that controlled chaos. Yeah. And so, on your on your website uh, for the greenhouse, in the main little like uh, introductory blurb on the homepage, it says that you've gathered experience that cannot be replicated. There is no replacement for great seasoned ears, and I love that. And mm -hmm. I'm curious to understand more about what a a seasoned ear really means in practice. So, like, what is like what is a what does that seasoned ear like yourself pick up that others can't? You know, it's about having context for things, you know, like in a specific example, let's say, you know, I get a record in and there is a sample off a of record and some dusty drums, you know, like the typical stuff that like we know we expect in a lot of our music. If you give that to a classical engineer or a pop engineer, First thing they might do is go in with noise reduction, trying to take out all the vinyl noise, the clicks and the pops. Mm -hmm. Don't take my shit out. That's the glue. That's the butter in there that makes the shit stick, you know? And some, yeah, there's a lot you might reduce, but it's certain things like you, ha you have to understand the art form. You know, I am good with microphones. I can record stuff, but like, I don't get called to record orchestras because that's not what I do. And sure, I could maybe figure it out. But there's people that like do that very specifically, and that's where their knowledge lies. I have enough knowledge to put up a mic on a violin. An orchestra, that's a different task, right? But what we do here in this, you know, 21st century indie rap thing, this art rap, whatever we call it, like. I know what the shit is supposed to sound like because I've been doing it for long enough. You know, I'm lucky to be able to say I've made albums that have defined some of the sound. You know, I'm not going to say I made all this up and I, you know, like it's, it's not, it's certainly not that there's so many people that have contributed, but like, I'm very honest with this stuff. Like, this is what I do. And I, I know it and I understand it. I understand the history of it. I understand the legacy of it. I understand what's been done, what's appropriate, because, you know, anybody can get some files and we can all have the same software, same gear, same plugins, everything. And you and I can get both these things, same song. What we mix is going to sound completely different, right? Because we're different people, you know, just by nature, you might turn a knob a little bit further than I might turn it because that's where you like it. Right. And that's fine. And so that's why, you know, that's why that's on the website. When you choose an engineer as an artist or choose a producer, you don't just choose the person who's got all the gear and lots of buttons, right? Any asshole can have all the gear and lots of buttons. Mm -hmm. You choose somebody who understands your vision, who knows what, what, who understands what it is that you want to accomplish and can meet you there, right? When I get a new client, first thing I ask them is, what have you heard that I've done that you liked? 
what do you like that you heard that I've mixed or that I've produced? If the answer is, oh, I don't really know, but I saw your picture in your studio, it looks really cool. Well then, thank you. I'm very proud of my studio, but we need to make sure that we're actually compatible on this. Because I've done a lot of this stuff where it's like, okay, let me go into pop mode and try to do this thing now. And that never fits as well. You know, I can do pop music. I make pop music, indie pop, you know, genres are all, somebody else could do all that, mm -hmm. you know. But I've done sessions for Sony, you know, music artists and stuff. Like I've done mainstream pop too. And I'm, just, I'm not necessarily the one for that, you know. And I went from, in my early days, hustling, taking every call that came in because, you know, had to eat or yeah. now it's like i can be a little bit more discerning but i want my clients to want to work with me not just somebody with buttons because that already puts a disconnect in if you just know that i have microphones over here right like do you like how i use them because if you don't i'm never gonna be able to give you something that satisfies your musical search right and you know, I can, I'm, I'm good at what I do. I can get close, but there may be someone who's better, better suited for you. If you've got a punk band that you want to record, you know, my homie down the hall records punk bands every day for, for, for a living. He might be better suited for that. And then, you know, when you have your rap album, call me. If you have your R&B album, call me. And it's not to pigeonhole myself, but I want to make sure that expectations are something that's going to work for everybody. Right. Yeah. It's finding your niche. And it sounds like you've definitely done that. And yeah, that's like that goes for a lot of businesses, really. Like you don't want to at the beginning, you might want to take everybody because you kind of just got to eat. But eventually you want to get to the point where you're you're being you're saying no at times to clients that don't make sense for what you do, because yeah, both because people won't really work like will benefit from it. Yeah. And they're going to be frustrated. And then I'm going to be frustrated. And now we're all pissed off. And that sucks, you know, mm -hmm. music, make, making music supposed to be fun. When you're in the studio, you're in small rooms with people for long hours. And if nobody really likes what's going on because it's not a great pairing, I'd rather work on something that is a better pairing. And, you know, it's easier. It's easy for me to say because I have other bookings, you know, but like that's because I've been in the game for 20 years. Mm -hmm. I've developed my name. I've developed my sound. I've developed my reputation. So yeah, you know, but like that, that's the seasoning part, right? Like I know how these records are supposed to sound because I mixed literally thousands of them. And that matters. That's not to say that somebody new can't do a good job, but it's like, you know, like I've been able to do this this long for a reason too. Yeah. And so the term, the term mixing gets thrown around. I find a lot by many novice listeners these days, wannabe mm -hmm. critics online. It's, it's kind of funny. It's becoming almost a meme. But from a veteran audio engineer's perspective, what to you actually makes a mix good? Huh. The, uh, the, the eternal question, how do you know your mix is good? Uh, I mean, for me, it's about balance. You know, I want, I want the important parts to be present. You know, so for me, if there's a vocal in the record, the vocal is the most important thing. Um, unless the client tells me that they want it down in the mix a little bit. And I have a few who like their vocals mixed down a little bit, but I like to have my vocal right up front. Um, that's where the story is. That's where the message is. That's where 
the intrigue is. Not that the beat is the backdrop, everything is to play together, but something's the focus. You know what I mean? Like something is always the focus and I want that to be the vocal when there's vocals in there. But I want, it's, a, it's, hard, it's hard to qualify this as a good mix because what we really are looking for is an appropriately good mix, right? Like Wu-Tang 36 Chambers is an appropriately great mix. Yes, album. exactly. You would not listen to that today and be like, this is some high fidelity shit. Look at the death. Listen to all this space. No, you wouldn't say that. But if it sounded that way, it would be wrong. All right. Right. If 36 Chambers was mixed like a Steely Dan album or a Michael Jackson album, there would be no Wu-Tang because nobody would have bought the second one. No one yeah. would have bought the first one. It, just, it doesn't make sense. And... That's like what I mean by appropriate fidelity, appropriate, appropriate goodness. But, you know, balanced frequencies, all the bass in the world doesn't necessarily make your song better. I like a lot of bass on a full bottom that needs to be balanced with a clear top end, right? Um, I love clarity. And even when I'm working with a lot of distortion, like it's distorted in ways on purpose. I may want to glue that sound together, but I also like every... You know, it's all intentional, you know? Um, everything in music making, even if it's, in, if it's intentional improvisation, it should be intentional. But I would say, a, I know it's very long-winded. This is all our question, though. But a mm. good mix, a good mix is one that provokes a reaction. It provokes a response, some kind of emotional response, Right. You know, if the song is supposed to make you dance, then it should get up, you know, there should be energy there and a movement there as opposed to make you dance. If a song is supposed to make you think and, you know, really dive in, you know, we want it to feel pensive and thought provoking. If a song is sad, we want it to draw out some emotion, right? And so maybe we want to leave some more space, something like Pollo Rico, you know, mm -hmm. beautiful song, sad song. And when you mix something like that, you have to leave space for the story. You know what I mean? Beautiful beat, but it's like you can't cram it all together like this is regular, regular rap song because it's not. This is a very personal moment. So, you know, on that, Woods is sometimes standing a little more alone. That's part of it. That's part of that story. That's part of what happened there, right? So a good mix is something that serves the song. Um, this is not a concise answer. <laughs> no, I love it. I think it's it's kind of like where where I if I had to answer this from my perspective as a non audio engineer, the way I always see it is your your example with thirty six chambers is exactly right because like a good mix to me is just when it's presented aesthetically in such a way that executes what the artistic vision of the song was. Like so, it could be a really dusty ass. Like I'm thinking of you know guided by voices. I don't think a, so. They're a classic like lo-fi indie band, but they okay. were one of the real pioneers of that, like a, a mix that sounds like you were like the final recordings like ran over by a car. Like it's incredibly dusty, like their vocals are strained, everything, but it's fucking perfect. Like it's the rugged quality makes it so intimate, just irresistible. It's really like quite catchy pop punk music, but it's mixed in such a way that just so much character. And anyways, I would say that's mixed amazing. Just as mm -hmm. I'd say, like a like a Billy Woods album or like some freaking um, 
other albums that you worked on are incredibly mixed as well, but for different reasons. They don't sound the same at all. It's just because it fit the record really well. I mean, yeah, thank you. And that's, you know, that's really the crux of it, right? Like, it needs to fit the music. And it needs to be appropriate for that. Yeah, because you can mix something any way, you know. But, like, yeah, if you take, like, a punk band, I don't know, New York Dolls, and then you mix them, like, you know, Rush, it, should, it doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Like, I can't even imagine what that would sound like. And that doesn't make either one of them wrong. Like, there's somewhat this quest for homogeny. You know, for everything to, well, this is what a radio-ready sound is. What the fuck does that mean? You know, like, is it ready for the radio? Is it ready for the song? Mm-hmm. You know, the song is, we we can't devalue the song. You know, we think about, oh, so-and-so's got bars. They got punchlines. It's beat, yeah, but it's all part of the song, right? The song is the whole thing. Like, the punchlines and the kick drums, those are those are part of the colors on the canvas. But when you step back and you look at the whole ish, and, and a whole image, you see the painting and what's in it. All the other stuff is just components, right? You know, some are important components like the vocal, some like the hi hat. You know, could take a back seat, depending. You know, whatever. But we're painting the image. We're not painting the color red. You know, right. I think I love that. I think that part is really important and. You know, not every mix should sound the same. Like if Backwoods records sound like DJ Khaled records, we wouldn't be talking today. That shit wouldn't make any sense for the music. And there's room enough for everybody to do their thing. This concept of we all need to perform the same way and rap the same way and mix the same way and have our record sound like this so it can be on, you know, an audio on TikTok fuck out of here if you need me to sound a certain way so i so we can go do that then i don't want to go do that because we're making the songs you all figure out what to do with them can you feel the hands twitching pants labyrinth position damn it the sand shift the piercing through my hands sifting man listen it's a game of ambition pill powder pop tripping sacrificial ambition dip into the livestock hologram pop vision plots picking clock stop ticking pop lock who got rhythm empty handed painted from your streets keeping what i gather drawn in patterns on your sheets so um i want to get into your process in a bit more detail uh so i understand from a previous interview i did with the great steel tip dove actually where mm. when it comes to the when we were talking about the, the general process, the post-production process in particular, the amount of creative liberties the audio engineer uh, takes seems to vary from artist to artist. So for you, I'm curious yep. how much creative latitude usually you usually work with. So like how much of the final product is a result of like your executive decisions as it relates to like, oh, tuning the sound in such a way, or is it more what the artists like anybody you're working with like a prem rock asked you to do yeah i mean the short answer is that it always comes back to what the artist wants their name is in big letters on the front of the album and my name is in little little letters somewhere in the metadata right and that is the balance of power you know a lot of it comes back to what you asked about before about the seasoned ears and about why people choose me you know if I'm mixing a prime rock album, he's like, Green, do your thing, and I'll let you know if I don't feel something. You know what I mean? I've been making records with Prem for like for over a decade. Yeah. You know? So there's trust there. 
and he calls me when he needs me to do my thing. And then I do my thing. And everything may not work, you know, and it's about you can't be precious about stuff. I can spend a two, two hours doing this super cool delay thing, whatever. And then in the, in the feedback comes like, yeah, really like the mix. That delay thing isn't working for me. All right, it's gone. He doesn't have to care how long I spent making that delay. <laughs> when you hear the album, you don't give a shit how long I spent making the delay. If it's distracting to you and takes you out of the moment and you're not listening to Prem anymore, I made a mistake, right? Nobody cares how long I, nobody cares how long I made it, right? When it comes to backwards albums, I have a lot of leeway, you know, particularly Shrapnel, Arm and Hammer, all of those people individually, because I've been making records with all of them for so, so long. But I mean, it's also, we're all so close knit, you know what I mean? I made so many albums with Fielded over a shorter period of time, but we've done four or five, something like that. Um, not all re released yet, but you know, we got stuff on the way. Like we do a lot of work. I work with Fielded a lot. And so there's trust there. But I also can anticipate what people are going to want. You know, I know when it comes to fielded, okay, I can lean into a little bit of extra, you know, pitch and harmony type effects on fielded's voice because they're really down for that. When I've done it in the past, it's worked so I can do it again. You know, and when you work with people, you understand people's tendencies and what they like and what, hey, yo, that is, what, what, what did you do to my voice there? You know, first time you get that, it's like, all right. I see the landscape. I know what time it is. We will not put that shit on your voice ever again, you know, mm -hmm. um, because it's trial and error. Um, you know, if it's clients outside of Backwoods, because uh, Backwoods isn't all my clientele, um, you know, it's a little bit different. And again, if you hire me, and I even sound arrogant, but if you hire me to mix your record, I'm going to do that in the way that I see best fit. Because you have to choose some kind of direction. And so yeah. I may as well choose the direction that I think sounds good first. Instead of, I spent years and years and years, years. This is like a new revelation, honestly. But thinking, well, what are they going to want me to do? What would they want me to do to their thing or whatever? And at some point, it's like, hey, man, you called me. So I'm going to do my shit. And you tell me what you like and what you don't like. And we go from there, at least on that first pass. But I heard, I forget what engineer it was, but I heard a famous saying, someone was like, mixing doesn't really start until the first round of notes. Mm. Because before that, I'm just painting. But then, you know, often I get lucky and I'm pretty close. You know, again, the controlled chaos, you know. So I know, you know, I know where to go. I know where not to go, where not to push. And I think that developed good taste and good instincts on things and that's the seasoning that i've done it so many times that i know this is going to work i refined my skill set you know it's not just my art the mixing is my artistic contribution but it's not about it being me the way that backwards album sounds just because i'm a human so i have certain tendencies i'm gonna lean certain ways i like certain things and it's become a big part of the sound and i don't mix everything dub mixes stuff too mm -hmm. uh kenny mixes his album so kenny mix maps he, he mix hiding places uh i master i think everything that the label does everything the labels put out in 15 years i believe i've mastered but short of that 
you know, every now and then some other people make some stuff. Uh, and that's fine, you know. But the fact that we have a sound, I think, is not intentional. It's just the byproduct of us having a way that we work and a system in which we work. Because I try to, like, I don't mix shrapnel records the same as Armin Hammer records. I don't mm-hmm. intend to. There are certain things that are going to be similar, but I do different things with them than when I do with Armin Hammer. I don't mix solo Woods and Elucid albums the same way I mix Armin Hammer albums. You know, there are differences there. Obviously, there's some things I'm going to bring in, but it's different approaches, you know, and I hope that that translates. But end of the day, you know, I see this all from my from my perspective. So I'm just I'm just trying to serve what they're doing um, and do my best appropriate work, but consider who I'm working with and try to give them a try to find their sound. Right. Right. You know, that's that that's the goal is to unlock the sound of this artist on this project or on this single, this snapshot of their career, I want to unlock who they are here. No, oh, I love that. I, I want to, I, I, I'm curious from your perspective, some, like get your thoughts on some of these, I guess you could call it musical trends that have been percolating in the underground, but you know, getting yeah, you a lot have of... Me a hater. Uh, no, go ahead. So you're going to have everybody call me a hater because I like okay. drum Okay. Okay. Well, I wasn't gonna have the the age old drumless conversation, but I will ask something else. So this is look. I I I like beats with no drums, but I am a drummer, so by default, I generally like drums in my shit. But I I I do love a drumless loop if it's nice. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that makes such sense, especially given your background. Um. Uh. I have a yeah. It's actually a patron question from uh, Dark Cow. He mm-hmm. asked, and I'm going to quote him because he asked this in such a stupid way, but it's hilarious. We're, it's all good. <laughs> he he asked, kind of wanted to ask you if you felt that hip hop is in its progressive fusion avant-garde stage that most music genres seem to inevitably go through and how far you think rappers can be pushed with crazy beats. LOL. But it also feels like a super dorky question. LOL. I thought it was a great no. question. So what are I your do, thoughts on this? <laughs> I do think it's a great question. Um, well, you know, it's interesting when you look at these cycles of music, the life forms of genres and how they kind of go. And genres is just so weird for me. Like, and I'd be like, what kind of rap do you make? And I'm like, make art rap? I make avant-garde rap? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to call shit. But I think that in some ways we're following paths that have happened before. Like rock was, you know very pop and then it got weird and then got you know like all kinds of stuff and then we had big hair and you know all this shit right um i don't think things i think hip-hop is a bit different because it's tied directly to it's more of its own culture like yeah there's rock and roll type people but hip-hop is culture as well as a musical genre and so there are different influences on it as far as what happens, what's created, all that kind of stuff. What makes this different from other styles, being that hip hop is younger, is that I think the effect of streaming and the internet has hit it in a different way, right? Like, 
obviously there's modern rock now, but it's not, you know, at the same peak as maybe it was in the past, um, where hip hop has been at a, it's been peaking throughout this new, throughout this new age, right? Like the internet age didn't change shit for the Eagles, didn't change shit for Led Zeppelin, because these were, you know, these are legacy, these are catalog Mm -hmm. artists at that point, right? Changed everything for us. You know, as opposed to being out there trying to hustle Cape Verde CDs at shows or trying to get them into fat beats or whatever, to now people all over the planet can come in and Maps can sell out on his first day of release. You know, like that part, and that's never mind the streaming part. Like the access has made everything so different where now people from all over can find the niche shit that they're looking for. And so it is a bit of a heyday with the avant-garde hip-hop, but that's because it's possible to be that way, right? Like, I found out about Backwoods in, like, 2005, 2006 on OK Player. You know, and it's funny because we wow. went through a long time where OK Player didn't even cover us. But for whatever reason, I was on OK Player, and they were talking about Emergency Powers, the first Super Crown album. Yeah. And there was no way for me to stream it. There was no way for me to hear that in a digital way. I happened to just happen to buy it on a on a lark in a CD store. I was in Newberry Comics and I saw it and I was like, oh, I read about that online. I'll buy it and give it a shot. That's not something people do anymore. You don't like yeah. go buy a CD unheard anything at all and be like, yeah, I'm gonna check it out. I bought it because some rap nerds were on OK Player in a forum talking about it, right? That changed my life. And I didn't even love the album at first. And it took a while to grow on me, but I was like, I paid $15 for the CD. We're going to listen to this shit again. You know, now you might stream something once, be like, nah, I'm off that because yeah. there's brilliant options. I was like, I don't have a lot of money and I spent it on this thing and I'm going to listen to it again. And then a friend of mine at the time was like, yo, play that rent control song again. I really like that. That's interesting. And I listened to it. And that was one of the Woods solo joints on there. And I I'm, I was always fine with privilege. I know some people don't fool with privilege's uh, flow and certain out his voice. I don't mind a high voice. Like, I'm a Freeway fan, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but that one stood out. And the way that Woods was talking this shit, that was, you know, problems with your landlord. Like, this is some regular stuff. But the way he flipped it, I was like, oh, wait. Yo, I get this. And then six months later, I moved to New York, and the first thing I did was email backwards, right? But it took some time to marinate. And now it's now it's different because everything is more fast-paced, but you have access to so much more. You know, if I hadn't gone into Newberry Comics that day, I might have never bought that CD. You know, if Backwoods as a label wasn't hustling to get shit into physical stores which was not necessarily the easiest thing at the mm-hmm. size they were at the time, I might have never seen the CD if it wasn't in the store, you know? Now, you make something, I can make a song today, have it on the internet later this afternoon, and the shit is forgotten about by Monday. It's just so fast that it's easier to reach out, but you have to have a more immediate impact because people don't let shit linger anymore. It's yeah. just, it's, it's a unique time. I don't, it's hard to say better or worse because... Also, we weren't doing shit like this 
then. Like there was nothing like this. There were the there were preludes to it, you know. We're from a lineage of death jucks, of a fondulum, of certain things earlier up the chain. But I like to think that the way that we're doing it now was not done in those previous incarnations. I would like to think, and my goal is that we're doing this shit fresh now. This is new. Each record should feel new. You know, that's that's my goal. Like, oh, this is what's next. I don't want to make what everybody else made. You can go listen to that already. I want you, I want to make the new shit. You're like, oh, I want to hear this to get exposed to whatever is coming next. Yeah, no, I love the way you said that. And shout outs to Dark Cow. It's all love. Didn't want to insult you. The question was just funny, <laughs> funnily worded. Uh, but yeah, it's a really interesting time because I feel I would really actually love to read a very comprehensive like research paper on just listening habits nowadays because there's so mm. many different variables you're right like it's so you have to there you have so many options so if you don't hit early on people are just off that they don't have an investment a monetary investment in listening to something as much but at the same time you have so much access to have like a much more diverse taste which i definitely think i've noticed in my life and many of my friends especially for casual listeners they have an, more of an ability to have a music taste in a way because they don't really have to invest much money into it. But either ways, I think there's a lot of discussion to have. I do want to get into a little more about your relationship with Backwoods because you kind of started touching on that. So mm -hmm. could you just expand on how that first linking up with Woods and the label ended up starting and how this tight relationship formed? Yeah. So I moved to New York in 07 uh, for a job. I was working at a real big studio in uh, Manhattan. And, you know, I've been making beats and I started to get more serious about it. When I graduated college a few years before that, I had a studio and I was like, I want to be an engineer, I want to record bands. We were doing a lot of metal records and stuff like that at the time, too. Um, and then I started getting more back into hip hop and into beats and started making, um, was working on an album with Past Tense, uh, who I work with a lot, you know, over the years. He's on Doc Savage, he's on, mm -hmm. he's on a number of. Um, very very close friend of mine and he was like yo you should really like this shit is that we're doing is dope you should really push this you know and he kind of got me really like all right let me get back on like in college i listened to a lot of hip-hop and i graduated and i opened the studio the records that we were getting were, were a lot of metal records because we were all friends with this one producer who was managing metal bands and so i got out of the hip-hop thing a little bit for you know a couple years we were doing metal and like indie films and then past tense really kind of pushed me. It's like, yo, you should do this. Like he pushed me to make my first uh, my first mixtape and all this stuff. And so when I moved to New York, I was like, all right, well, I'm in New York now. Like we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in the scene and we're doing this. And it was, you know, I just started emailing people and I was still listening to that emergency powers a lot. And so I reached out at the same time I was working on a beat tape. I was like, well, how am I gonna let people down here know that these beats are nice? let me do a beat tape and then I can hand it out to people or whatever and try and find someone to put it out on MySpace because I was still on MySpace at this time and all that kind of nonsense. So I emailed, I didn't hear back. And so I followed up and that's the biggest lesson. Always follow up. Woods has even said, he's like, yo, I missed that first email, but the fact that you follow up reminded me to get back to you. And then, you know, here we are. Um, always follow up politely, but you know, Stay, stay vigilant on this kind of stuff. And so we met and I played him this beat tape, uh, which 
eventually was released as Dirty Jordans. But we sat on it for years because I played it for him. And he was like, yo, that first beat is crazy. Yo, that second beat is crazy. Yo, there's a lot of joints on here that I might want to write to. Do you think that we could write to them? And then Backwoods would put out the beat tape afterwards. And I'm like, part of me wanted to rush and like get these beats out. I'm like, no, everyone's got to hear these shits. Everyone's got to hear it. And I was like, yo, let me, like, this guy wants to rap on these tracks. I'm not working with anybody. This is what I really like. This is some music I really like, I really work with. Let's send a couple of these over to Privilege and see what happens. And so that first beat that's on there um, became Reggie Miller, the first song on Cape Verde. Mm. Rhyme books, pure gold, great story never told, pawn shops at 25 beads sold. That was the, the that was the first bars I ever recorded for Woods. That was the first song that we did. Uh, and that's how we started. That's how we started off the album. That that was the first rap I ever recorded for Billy Woods. We did that one. We did that, and we did Travaille that day, which is also on the album. And the Travaille beat is the second beat, I believe, on Dirty Jordan. So we kind of just started at the top. And somewhere in this room, I actually still have the DVD backup disc for that drive. We weren't even going to hard drives. <laughs> Nobody had USB drives like that yet. We actually burned a DVD backup. It's around here somewhere. And that set it off. And we were working at that big studio I was at, and then the economy crashed. And so we finished it up in my apartment. And I've just been going since then, you know, but Supercron kind of fell apart and Privilege was going through some things. And so it wound up kind of being just me and Woods at that point. The Invisible Men stuff with uh, Mark Speck and Carnage, I think, was over. And it was kind of just Woods on the lane. And it was me like, well, you know, Cape Verde came out really good. Uh, it, you know, a lot of people didn't hear it because they weren't able to tour it. You know, some people don't really fool privileges rhymes like that, so they didn't go back. But there's, there's some shit on there. And so we were like, well, we want to try it one more time. Let's do one more, but this next, one, next one's got to work. And, you know, that's the story of history will absolve me, yeah. where it's like, all right, man, it's getting, it's getting tight here. This, this one's got to work, you know? And we just did it. And that was some real, like, for the love shit um but belief in it and it was exciting to work with somebody like i like challenging music and i hear a lot of records you know here all over the place i've listened to a lot um you know i listen for a living so when i find music and i'm like i don't know what's happening here and i don't know why but i love it and i need to hear it five more times that's exciting to me I know it can be off-putting to some listeners, but like, that's the shit that gets me up in the morning because not that making music is boring, don't get me wrong, but like, you know, there are periods where, especially in Backwoods, wasn't so busy where it's like, okay, boom bap song number 20 for the week, you know, whatever. And like, I like boom bap, but it's a, it's, it's a specific thing. Even when we were doing all those metal records back in the day, it's like, all right, metal record 12 for the week let's go and you know nowadays it's like okay you know mixing this new fielded project i have no idea what the next song is going to sound like this could be some whole other shit dope cool you know and it's all rooted in one place and it's all coming from Lindsay, and so it's all them 
but it's so multifaceted that it could be a lot of things. And that's an exciting thing for me to work on. It's an exciting thing for me as a listener. Like, I don't know what Woods is going to rap about next. Could be about some New York City, Brooklyn shit, or could be about global politics. I don't know. But let's keep listening. Let's keep going. Let's find out. And how does it all come together? Because it does all come together. And that's the thing with Woods, man, is that there's themes. It's arcs to everything. Um, and not just Woods. I think that that's a backwards thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. We don't make a lot of albums that's just let's throw some songs together and put it out and call it an album, right? Like, that's like a compilation. That kind of thing is fine. You get your jams, you get your singles, you get your ballads, whatever. That's just not really what we're doing here, though. We were I mean, talking- even like White Label, like a fucking, know, like that has an art, like that's a that's a beautifully yeah. put together album and it's not even an album technically, like yeah, it's crazy. Like- that's a great example of it you know even the mixtapes like high bias similar thing like you know a lot of time and thought is put into track order you know woods is the true master that i remember when we were doing history will absolve me we were going back and forth on something and i wound up relenting uh but i don't even remember this order of a couple songs i was like this should be like this and he's like no it's got to be like this trust me i know it's got to be like this and it, it just, it mattered so much that I was like, okay, word, this matters that much, right? The nuances and all this stuff all matters. That's why like, it's important to me when I say like, it's all intentional. You know, when you listen to the vinyl, like I spend a lot of time spacing the songs. I'm like, no, we need 10 more milliseconds of silence between this song and that song. Like, I think about that. You know, and playlist listeners, they take their favorite songs, they put on the playlist, and like they don't think about that. But if you're the kind of listener who gives a fuck about the pacing of an album, if you're the kind of listener who listens to the album top to bottom, whether streaming or certainly on the vinyl, we got that for you. Like it's paced in a certain way. I may leave some extra silence to let you really think about the fuck did he just say? Or maybe I'm going to bring that next song in really fast so you don't get a break. You don't get to relent in the end of that last one. I'm keeping it claustrophobic for you. I'm keeping the tension up, right? Like, that's the kind of stuff. Those are the intangibles. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. the kind of thing that you don't even recognize is happening to you in your listening experience, but it creates the experience. That stuff really matters to me, right? Because I'm, I'm still an album listener, and I you know do playlists and whatever, but what I want to hear what somebody means in their music, I want to put on the album. I want to stop what I'm doing, not wash dishes, and I want to listen to what they mean. Yeah, I'm definitely like you. I'm 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 almost exclusively an album listener, even to a fault. Like there's other genres of music, especially that don't or or, or up and coming artists that haven't put together that full body of work yet. But I'm like, okay, they're dope. I'll wait for their album. Like I'm just like, I don't have time. Like I'm like you, like I want to have, I hate having to go to my phone or my iPod or my laptop and like start searching, creating a cue. It's like, no, just let me put that album on. Let me ride with it for the next 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Like that's my, that's my way. I'm like you, I want to understand what the artist is about, not just this song, you know? Yeah. Uh, You know, I think certain genres lend itself more to that, you know, like we're, narrative we're story driven we're experience driven you know it's not it's not a knock but like it's not trap music right yeah. 
So if you got a trap, if you got trap music, often, and I'm no expert, and this is not all the time, but a lot of the themes in a lot of trap songs tend to be similar. Mm-hmm. Shall we say? I'm, not, I'm trying to not say the whole, all that, <laughs> the whole is all about the same day of bullshit. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But a lot of the subject matter is kind of similar, and so like you know, the ordering of the songs may or may not make a, make a difference, right? But, like, The Wake needs to be the last song on History Oh, my God. That was the it song put, that changed my... That was the... Because that was the album I first heard from Woods, but that was the song. Like, that end of that first verse, that was, like, wow. Because I, I, I didn't have an appetite for the really abrasive stuff on that album, just, like, when it first mm-hmm. dropped 2012. Like, yeah. I was still getting into my experimental phases of music with like other genres as well. But that one just hit me on an emotional level. And I didn't even have a relationship in my life at that point. But I was like, no. shit, that's hard. What that is gut wrenching. What the fuck? Like, yeah. Like, and it's uh, like, it has to be the last song. That, that couldn't be the third song. You know what I mean? Like, because it's the, in a lot of ways, it's the capstone of the thesis. You know, history will absolve me. And then you have this story at the end. And like, I know the parties involved. I know what the story is about. I know the people that are involved in this, you know. But even then, at that point, I didn't. But you can tell the gravity of the song. You can tell, you know, you record, you record some, some genres of music, some stuff. And, you, and it's kind of like, man, this shit all true yeah <laughs> it was never a question whether or not the wake is about real real scenarios you know what i mean there's never a question there's never a question Poyo rico is something that i feel is in a lot of ways very similar to the wake there's no question that that shit is about something real like you never in general with backwards artists you don't wonder that because part of what makes our music so dope and speaking for everybody else is the honesty. Like when you listen to our records, you know, people better. You listen to trap door, you know more about who death C is. 100%. You, know, you listen to low bearing crow's feet, you know, prem rock, you know? Um, and that's important for me, for me as a listener and for me as a fan, I want to like, I want to know more about Raekwon. You know what I mean? I want to know who Raekwon is versus who Capadonna is. Like that shit, that kind of shit matters, you know, in the in the Wu Tang cinematic universe. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that kind of shit matters, and I want to get in there. And these are characters, these are people with depth to dive into, and so we want to present this in a way that that, that can really be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, going back to <laughs> track sequencing, this is a long answer, but like, but like that matters because that tell it, it tells the story as well. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't flip crocodile tears and the wake. Yeah. The, I, the entire statement of the entire album is different. If you do that, right. That stuff matters. It matters because it's the context of the information that we're giving. And so the order, you could take a paragraph and flip it all out of order it doesn't make sense anymore same words same information doesn't make sense yeah and like the wake too like it's just a it does something that woods's music a lot of times does is like a lot of that album is touching on uh you know larger societal stuff like just bigger picture things but then it ends with something super personal and you kind of just realize like 
he's just very multifaceted and it's and it allows you to kind of just realize like at the end of the day there's still a person yeah you can focus on all these other things that happen in society but at the end of the day this is like a real person and we all go through real personal stuff and you also have to deal with that like it's the it's a very balanced look at things and i think yeah and you produced that one i was just checking to confirm that yeah you produced that one and the just the the, that chorus i've always told people like the the like that sample that's scratched like it just seems like a it's like someone it's like so mournful it's like someone just you like it's like the voice of someone's mother realizing their son died just scratched like it's just yeah fucking like i just that was the one i was like wow this is something special like i don't know who this guy is like whoa like yeah this is like those those are those moments and i feel like for i'm speaking generalizations obviously like it's for me but like i feel like for all of our favorite artists they become our favorites when we find a way for that personal connection yeah, you know what I mean. It's like you like Biggie because Big Papa was a dope record, and because Juicy was a dope record. You love Biggie for Everyday Struggle. Yeah, you know, and it's to like at, at least for me, you know, like Everyday Struggle. I think is my favorite Biggie song. I mean, you know the unfortunately small but impactful catalog there's still a lot of songs there but everyday struggle is like oh you go through it too i can connect there you know what i mean like big papa is like yeah you talking some slick shit cool i can aspire to want to do that stuff as a 13 year old you know but everyday struggle you need a little humanity from your superheroes you know what i mean that's why in all the all the comic book movies eventually they lose their powers and they have to find a way to overcome so we can connect with them because superman is the superman i don't know about that i'm regular on how to rob and kill your neighbors still got the nerve to ask god to save you the exhale got a whole different flavor official policy don't do me no favors i know uh, i just wanted to talk more about this one piece which is just that like just generally there was this great piece uh, i know we talked about this before recording about uh in pitchfork just on the history of backwoods and there were so mm. many great quotes uh, like Fielded said, one that stuck with me is like, Woods has created a safe space for artists to get weird, get loose, and get honest. Love mm. that. And then you had one that was really particularly interesting, and it relates to something that Lucid said to me when we when we spoke on the show last year, where he said that you have a very particular vision for hi-fi hip-hop music, mm. which is separates, which often separates what Arm & Hammer and just Backwoods generally does. And you had a quote in that Pitchfork piece where I think you said you want you want music on the label for people to have like a physical reaction. To yeah. It. And so how would you describe in more detail like the that sound, that ethos or whatever that you want to create as like a sound person on Backwoods? Yeah, I mean, and it's funny that you mentioned it. Um, oh, and it's funny that you have the, the Doc Savage art up because that's something I really thought about when I was doing Doc Savage. Um, like I really started developing, I think, a lot of my concepts on how I want to make records with Doc Savage. And, and I worked on it for five years. I hope I developed something mm-hmm. along the way. I worked on that shit for a long time. Yeah, 
I was listening. I was doing a little listening session at home with my wife and one of our good friends, our friend Natalie. We listened to the album, and she was like, I just felt a physical energy to it. And I was like, that crystallizes, like, what I want. You know, like, good music should make you feel something. It should make you move, right? Like, a great dance song, you got to move. You know what I mean? Like, my drums come on and your head doesn't start doing a little bit. Like, my drums are not banging enough, right? Like, sometimes I have to remind myself to keep still in the, in the, in, in, in the chair mixing because I'm like, I'm not hearing right because I'm bopping so much. But, like, these drums don't make you move, man. Then maybe they're weak. <laughs> I can't afford to be out here with no weak drums, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I want, you know, like, art should make you feel something, you know? Even if you don't like what we do, I want you to feel that way. The last thing I wanted to do, I, I don't want to be forgettable. I don't want to be blah. Because not everybody's going to like what we do. We're not yeah. here for everybody to like us. You know, we're, you know, we're a bit of, a, of, a, uh, of, of an anomaly, of an acquired taste, right? And that's cool. I'm not trying to be out here for everybody because nobody can please everybody. You know, not without watering the shit down, not without taking out the risk, mm. taking out taking out the challenge, you know. And that's what I don't love about pop music is the risk averseness and the want to be like something else because that was successful and we need to make dough. I want to make something that is risky and so when you fuck with it you really fuck with it and that's the kind of records that we make and that's exciting to me um i want i want a reaction if you're just completely passive if it doesn't move you at all in any kind of way like a what did he say or what just happened there or where are we in the sound or what's i want wonder i want i want you to engage if you're not engaged and you can put this on and read a book or do whatever, I'm not captivating you enough. I want you, I want you dialed in. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that's the thing I've noticed the most, especially when backwards drops, like what any album right drops on a Friday. Oftentimes I'm trying to listen to it while I work um, when I have some downtime. And I always find that I'm like, Oh, this is good. And I never feel like, and when I'm talking to people on like Twitter or like in the patron discord and people are like, Oh my God, this is so good. And I'm just like, okay, let me, I feel weird. I don't like this as much as everybody else, but it's because I'm until I don't have time to just sit down with it and basically do nothing. I don't feel the same until I have that one listen session. Then I'm like, okay, this is incredible. This, I see what people are saying. It's not passive. I can't, properly enjoy this passively i can enjoy it but mm-hmm. not to the extent that i want to no sure and i don't i don't have the need to love something on the first listen exactly and i don't know i don't know if it's a weird internet thing where you know it's like posting first on a on a, on a youtube video or whatever it's like oh i heard it first i already love it well what do you fucking do there's no way that you actually understand maps on a first list. There's no way that you get all the nuances, all the details, all the bars, all the stories, all the little stuff that Kenny put in there. You didn't get it on your first list. I don't believe you. Yeah. Because I worked on it. I mastered the album. 
and I ain't get everything. And I listen to it over and over and over. I, I just like, it's not, it's not for that. And it's fine. And you can like it. You can really like it. You can love it on your first listen, but just don't tell me that you absorbed it all. And you understand it. Like the, Oh, the album came out six hours ago. Here's the review. How? Mm-hmm. This is not six hour music. You know, I'm still catching uh, every time I listen to an old backwards album from anybody somewhere in there. And I'm like, Oh, that's what you meant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, then that means, oh, then, well, then when you did this and everything unlocks, like that's what it's supposed to be. Uh, you can get it on the surface level. It's going to sound good. The flows are going to be good. You know, it's going to be catchy. The beats are going to be nice. All this stuff. But just don't tell me you got it all on yeah. that person. Because then I'm just like, either I, I need to understand your genius or something's not lining up. But, you know, it's supposed to be deep. Stream it twice. Stream it three times. Stream it five times. Keep streaming our shit, everybody. You know? But, yeah. But it's like, it's supposed to be layers to it. And I just feel, and just in general, if I can gleam all the information and understand everything and everything about your song on the first listen, why do I want to listen to that a second time? Like, I got it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that is what goes to the nuance we want to put in these records and all this kind of stuff. Like, I want you to catch something new every time you hear it. Oh, oh, I didn't hear that delay back before. And that rang out on this word, which means that was important. And this, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of clues. It's not one listen music. And I think that's a positive thing. So, well, yeah, no, so, definitely. like, I want people to love the shit. At first, because if you don't, you know, if you don't love it at first, you might not listen to it again. Um, but there's rewards in there for people who listen multiple times. There's rewards in there who, for people who listen actively, not like casually when they're doing their dishes. I listen to records when I do my dishes too. But I'm not listening. I'm just hearing. I'm not listening to them. And these are records that you should listen to. Yeah, I think there's a lot of beauty in music that takes time to marinate. And it's actually funny. This is like something I recorded yesterday as a little like bonus episode. But I was talking about a, I was reminded of like this Young Morpheus album, Affable with Pointed Teeth that you do with Idris, uh, mm. an album that I really liked when it dropped, but I only loved like this year, two years mm-hmm. after it dropped. And it's just kind of nice uh, music like this. A lot of the music on Backwoods, it just reminds me there's so much beauty and patience. Like it's some, mm. it's like a life lesson. That's how I, the, episode's point was it's kind of like a life lesson it taught me which is just that man there's so much imagine if you approach life like you did like an album or an artist that you trusted where you're like in a backwards artist it's like oh i don't like it on first listen a lot just give it give it some time maybe give it years maybe mm-hmm. like small bills like i said i really liked it when it dropped but i didn't love it until like this year i mean like last year which is a solid two years after it dropped and i love elucid and i loved him then but i was like ah oh, this one is good but I just don't fully, and I didn't go back to it that much, but then I just kept giving it chime. And then it's like one of my favorite records by him. It's just, that's a, it's a beautiful thing in my opinion. No. And that's a great point. Like we need to be patient with art because we also receive art where we are at as people. Yeah. It's contextual. Right. And so I might not be ready to understand something, and then all of a sudden I hear it and I'm like, oh, well, after hearing this, now this makes sense or whatever. Maybe I'm just in a different mood that day. Maybe I've learned something new musically. Maybe I've learned something new life-wise, right? 
you hear shit different because your perspective has changed because you've changed as a person. We're all supposed to change it as people. Every day is supposed to change a little bit more, right? And so eventually, maybe something that didn't connect with who you were a year ago resonates with who you are now because a whole year went by and I'm sure some shit happened. It happens to everybody. Something good or bad, right? And so we should revisit art. Like, I rewatch movies. I rewatch TV shows and stuff. My wife was like, yo, you've seen that movie twice. Why are you watching? You know, and it's like, well, I just like it, but maybe, yeah, maybe it might be some new shit in there. You know, and or, I mean, and how am I going to know if I never go back? Right. You know, that's, I think, the challenge of the amount of music that we have today in the world, which in a lot of ways is exciting because there's more opportunity for great music and there's more place for great music to reside because there's more demand for it. But it is a murky sea out there. It's something like mm-hmm. 60,000 songs uploaded to Spotify every day or something like that. And that doesn't even make sense to me, right? Like, and it's true. There's a lot of music. A lot of people are like, it's hard to conceptualize that. And then at the same time, be like, I got this six song EP and I'm also going to put it out there. That shit, I mean, that that alone is a mindfuck, right? Yeah. Like this morass of music but i got this and i'm gonna add to it well then it's got to be special it's got to be unique it's got to be provoking that's the only way to cut through all of this sound i don't want to say noise because you know some of some of it's good some of it's not not everything that comes out needs to be released is <laughs> people can see keep some of these things for themselves um but you know, it's a lot to cut through. And so that's what we do well over here is honesty is, you know, because that's the one thing that can't anybody else do. You know, again, we can have all the same gear. We can have all the same stuff and everything. But what makes it different is the artists who are manipulating these things. Who's doing the rhyme? Who's saying the words? How are they saying them? Who's capturing these words? Who is morphing these sounds into the beat who is you know mixing them who's mastering them all all the different parts of it you know like a lot of people have splice and they're like well splice can ruin everything because now we're all using the same sounds well don't use them like everybody else yeah if you worry about sounding everybody else then push your shit hard make it something different right if not then maybe it's on you that you sound like them sound like you try to sound like you that's the artist's journey and that's the honest part. And when you do that, you're bound to cut through because that's the one thing is that we're all individuals. Yeah. Anybody can buy, a drum, can buy a drum machine, but how you freak it is what is going to separate you from them. Yeah, that's what we're drawn to as listeners as well as that individuality, that honesty, because we, we can get sounds from anywhere, as you said. Yeah. There's millions exactly. of sounds out there. Exactly yeah. right. Okay, well, I want to just before we end this, I want to give you a chance to just talk a bit more about the greenhouse and the you know services you provide and how people can get in touch. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Greenhouse Recording Company is my studio here in Brooklyn. Uh, it's where I'm at right now. Um, we do really a bit of everything. Uh, you know, it's myself. I've got a couple staff, a uh, couple staff members here. Um, we produce records or we'll make beats or if you've got a band, we can guide you through that process, you know, cause that's a little bit of a different thing. Do a lot of hybrid stuff, beats, live instruments, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. We record vocals, got the booth over there. 
down the hall in Studio A, um, in the facility that I'm at. We do bands over there. So, you know, we've done some live band stuff for Fielded, some other live band for stuff that I cannot discuss yet, but you will find out. Um, you know, so we do that too. Primarily, I do mostly mixing. My day-to-day work is usually mixing. I've made a lot of beats in my life, uh, recorded a lot of vocals, but mixing is the part that I enjoy most. Um, it's where I can be most creative and really do, you know, my best work. Um, we also do mastering, you know, which is the final step of an album or a single, making sure that everything is balanced, the songs relate to each other timbrely, level-wise, all that kind of stuff. Make sure that the pacing is right. Make sure those 10 milliseconds are in there when we need them. You know, yeah. all that. It's the final po- it's final project. It's the final polish on your project, you know. Mastering is the kind of thing that everybody knows is necessary, but not everybody really understands what we do when we're mastering. So it's the final polish. And then also the details and stuff. We put in your metadata. We make sure your track names are spelled right and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, you know, we're really a one-stop shop where whatever you need, you know, we can do. That's kind of the modern recording industry. Um, it's a lot less specialized where one person would do each of these jobs. You know, it's come to a point now where we do pretty much everything in-house. Uh, we don't cut the vinyl, but we master for vinyl and we send it out, you know, to the to the to the vinyl press shops and all that. But short of actually cutting the lacquers or cutting the vinyl, we do pretty much everything else here. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, is there any like upcoming projects you'd like to highlight? I don't know if that's a little different for your vantage point because you're speaking on behalf of other artists potentially. I gotta be a little bit careful because yeah. you know I I can't be the one to yeah, uh, yeah. do this. What we don't do here is leak shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is very important. We don't do that. But um, you know, I do follow your show, and I know Woods Bazan. He mentioned a few projects that that that, that are coming up. Um, you know, most recently we mastered maps. Um, I mixed most of what's on backwards, but Kenny, like I said, does his own mixes. So yeah. Kenny did mixing maps, uh, and I mastered that here. Um, so that's the most recent thing that's like out, but yeah, there's a new fielded project that's coming out. Um, let me not say when, because no one needs to be beholden to, I, I don't decide to release dates, uh, but that is mixed about to be mastered soon. So new fielded uh, is coming soon. Woods said there's a new Arm & Hammer album, so I can co-sign what he said. Yeah. Uh, it exists. It is. I ain't going to say no more, but you already know. Mm-hmm. You already, for everybody watching, you see the look on my face. It is, it's the real McCoy. It's serious, 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 serious business. Uh, so that's coming. Um, that's done. Uh, but that's, that's, that's coming out later this year. You know, backwards wise, that stuff's going on. I got a few projects myself that I'm producing before nice. steps. And then just for myself, I, uh, I'm going to be getting back into some of my own music a little bit. Uh, I haven't done an album in a couple of years, um, but I think, I don't know, early, early stages, but I got something brewing on my own end. Uh, I've got some big news that's going to be announced soon, but not yet not as of the airing of this podcast. So I'm going to hold off a little bit, but I've got some exciting stuff artistically for me as well. Um, but, you know, every day I'm in here mixing something and backwards, we do six, seven albums a year. So there's plenty to come up. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Well, then I'm so pumped. So pumped. Uh, I think you're approaching just your passion 
for what you do is absolutely felt. And I hope you know that because although myself and many other music listeners don't necessarily have that audio engineering ear, I think I can speak for a lot of people where we can say we can hear the difference when you're behind the board. So I appreciate yeah, you taking I, the time to, to come on the show. This was this was a lot of fun. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Really appreciate, you know, the ears like, you know, because I'm trying to do, you know, like I said, everything's intentional. Like I'm working hard. So the fact that it's translating people, people are catching that uh, is very important to me. So I appreciate it. I'll keep on doing the same thing or better, better, not the same, better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully I see you out in uh, NYC soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's yeah. definitely connect uh, whenever you're out here. And thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed this. this yep. All right. Have a good rest of the day. Peace. All right. Thanks. You too. I stand in this booth in a moment we call now. At the same time, peddling to school as a child. Under a canopy of jacarandas, it ain't changed much. Colorful trees still surround us. Elves get touched. Baby face staring out the window of a school bus. 20 years later, same wistful look, but shackled up. Bearded down. Mama kissed his forehead. Good luck. Tears anoint. So there we have it, another episode of the Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV. I hope this episode gave you some new perspectives and insights into what the greatest art form known to man in hip-hop music has to offer. If you want to support the show in the most meaningful way possible, it would be my absolute honor to have you as a patron in the new Rap Music Plug podcast Patreon. Through this Patreon, you will be getting exclusive content such as bonus episodes, exclusive album recommendations, exclusive playlists, early access to episodes, and more. And above all though, you will be able to support the show directly in a way that will not only justify the crazy amount of time I spend on this show already, but allow me to cover some of the expenses related to supporting all of these great artists that we cover on the show through the website and will allow us to sustain and build on this amazing growth that the RMPP has experienced recently. So if you have any questions about any of the Patreon stuff or just want to keep tabs on the show, interact with me on rap music and all the great stuff that we can talk about, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Rap Music Plug Pod or shoot me an email at QLCTV dot podcast at gmail.com you can also rate and review the show on apple podcasts and subscribe on youtube and spotify as well but that's enough self-promotion for this episode i hope you enjoyed it peace